0: Let's pray together before we begin, shall we, tonight. Father, we thank you so much that it is God's good will to give us the kingdom. And we thank you it is the desire of the Father that all men should come to know the knowledge of the truth and that they should be saved. Father, tonight we want to thank you that we are the saved ones. And by your grace you've come down. We've done nothing to deserve it. We certainly haven't earned it but you in your love have come down to rescue us from the sin and degradation of this world. Father, it's such a privilege to be one of yours, one of your blessed chosen ones. And tonight we just lift up our hearts before you to thank you with all that is within our hearts that you saw us in your love and you set your love upon us and that Jesus so loved us, he came and laid down his life. Father, our prayer is, that we, in turn, should lay down our lives for him, that we should be of value to you. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, even through the things that we study tonight, that, Father, we might be of value to you. And I want to pray especially, Lord, for any who are in sects tonight, Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or the uh, children of God, whoever they may be. And, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that in some small way these tapes on the Trinity may be used not only to save them, but might be used to set them free from the bondage that they are in. (laughs) Father, there are so many sects around. And Father, how do we keep up with all the sects that, that there are? Well, Father, I pray that one thing may be true of us anyway, that we should be masters as far as the Trinity is concerned, that we should be able to meet every one of them on this major area of doctrine and know that the Bible teaches that our God is a triune God, one in essence, but three in personality. Father, we say we love you, we love Jesus, we love the Holy Spirit, and we thank you that we can come and worship with all our hearts. Father, may the Holy Spirit be present in this meeting, in fullness and in full anointing, that indeed we should understand what your word declares so clearly. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. Amen. Amen. I hope you've all recovered from the Bible study that I gave last time. Most unusual Bible study, I think we only looked at two scriptures. I have to inform you that tonight and next time we're going to make up for that lack of scripture. Last time I think we came as close as certainly I can ever come to understanding the concept of the Trinity. At the end of the hour, I'm sure we agreed with the man, Dr. Robert Smith, whom I quoted at the beginning of the Bible study, and we agreed that he was right when he said that if you deny the Trinity, you're in danger of losing your soul. But if you too much strive to understand it, you're in danger of losing your wits. Well, I hope if any of you did lose your wits last time, you've now recovered them. Tonight, what I want to do is look at the Trinity in a different way. We've seen in the very early tapes in this series that, in fact, the Bible declares solidly right the way through that our God is one God. Do you remember I've quoted in the earlier uh, tapes uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. And I also quoted from Mark chapter 12 verse 29 and verse 30 where Jesus affirms the saying, where he quotes it and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And so the affirmation comes from both Old and New Testament that we've only got one God. Now what I want to do tonight, next time, I want to have a look at the Bible to see whether it shows us that not only do we just have one God, but there are three personalities involved. Now we know the Father is God, that's self-evident. Wherever you read the word God, most of us assume it is the Father immediately. But what we want to have a look at is whether there are two other characters as well who appear in the Old and the New Testament who are also said to be divine. If we can do that, do you see, we have actually shown that the Trinity exists, even if we can't quite grasp exactly what it's like with our minds and so tonight I want to actually structure the Bible study and I want to speak under four main headings The first heading is this I want to have a look at the plurality of God in the Old Testament And I have to tell you this that in fact The scriptures that come under this heading of the plurality of God in the Old Testament are not proofs That we have a Trinity, but they certainly do demonstrate that we have a Trinity And I want to begin at the very beginning of the Bible, and in verse 1 of chapter 1. And most of you can quote it off by heart. In Genesis 1, verse 1, we have this statement of fact. In the beginning, it says, God created the heaven and the earth. And of course, if I was speaking on creation tonight, this is where I begin as well. But I'm not, I'm speaking on the Trinity. And the thing I want to point out in verse 1 is this, that a very interesting word for God is used in this verse. You probably know that in Hebrew there are many words used for God. Yah is one word that's used for God. Jehovah is another. Adonai is another. But it's none of those that's used here. The word used here is the word Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M The word is Elohim. And the interesting thing about the word Elohim is this. It is actually a plural word. Whenever in Hebrew you see a word that ends in I-M, it's always a plural word. Most of you can think of words that actually end in I am that are plural. For example, you have one cherub, don't you? Do You know that cherubs are a category of angels. Satan himself is a cherub. You have one cherub, but in the Hebrew you have two cherubim. All you do to make it plural is add I am. And by adding I am, that is plural. Two cherubim, three cherubim, four cherubim, 150 cherubim. That's what you say. Don't be taken in by the King James Version, by the way, that has the word cherubims in it. And the translators have made a bit of an error. That's rather like saying cherubs. Right? Cherubim is enough. Two cherubim means plural. Seraph is a type of angel. You have one seraph. Plural is seraphim. Now, isn't it interesting that here the name of God is a plural word? Elohim is plural. And that, for us, is most interesting when we then tie it up with other scriptures in the Bible. It doesn't prove that God is plural, but certainly for us it's an indication that we have a composite unity in our God. The same word, by the way, when it's used of foreign gods, is actually translated in the plural in your King James Version and in all modern versions. You know, the gods of the strangers or the gods of the Assyrians. Very often that word is Elohim. But where it's used of our God, it's always translated in the singular, our God. All right, let's have a look then at other passages that show that we may have a triune God. Let's have a look at some pronoun nouns that are used about our God. Now stay in chapter 1, and let's go to verse 29 of chapter 1. Sorry, verse 26 of chapter 1. And here we have God speaking again. Now look what God says. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And you see the little use of the word us there and the use of the word our. Both of those mean plurality. And God, singular, says let us make man in our, and then you've got a singular word used, image, one. And in that one verse you have both one God, and yet you have a plurality also in the Godhead. The word us clearly means more than one. Our also means more than one, but there's only one image. Now the Bible declares this, that when the heaven and earth were created, Jesus was the one who created them. But here, where man is created, do you see, you have a discussion in the Godhead concerning the creation of man. And in the Bible, all three members of the Godhead are said to be involved in the creation of man. And there they are, the three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and they're discussing man. You see the dignity that is given to man that's not given to any other part of God's creation. The Godhead discusses about man and what he's going to be like. And they say, let's make him in our image. The Father doesn't say, oh, let's make him in your image, or let's make him in his image. It's our singular image. We are one, and there's one image that we have, and man must be made in that image. And the three are involved in the creation of the Godhead. I shouldn't do this, but can we keep our finger in Genesis? Can we go to the book of Ecclesiastes? And here you have a mistranslation in your Bible, but one that you can understand, but I'm going to tell you the correct translation. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 1, we have a most interesting verse, and one that you all know probably off by heart. In verse 1, it says this, Remember now, it says, Thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now thy creator. The trouble is that is a wrong translation of that particular verse. The word creator is actually plural. It should read, remember now thy creators in the days of thy youth. And there you've got another indication, not a proof, but an indication that in fact we have a triune God. You can check that up, by the way, in Young's literal translation of the Bible. It's quite clear for all to see, and the Hebrew definitely says it. Creators, yes, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all three involved in our creation. So that's why it says, let us make God in our image. Let's have a look at some others. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22. And here we have a passage which is said after the fall of man and now we have the Lord God said and in verse 22 and the Lord God said behold the man is become as one of us strange isn't it that it should be put in people who don't believe in the Trinity have to explain these uss away Right? They have a lot of trouble doing it. The usual uh, explanation is this, that it's the royal we. Do you know that Queen Victoria, she never said, I am not amused. What she said is, we are not amused. And so what they say is, well, of course, God was a Victorian, and he'd heard <laughs> Queen Victoria speak, and he uses the same phrase. We are not amused. Oh, heavens, they are like one of us now. Really, that is about the feeblest explanation that you can ever be given. It makes God into a Victorian, and it's just not true. To have to go to that sort of length to explain it away, I think shows just how weak the argument is. No, it says us because it means this triune God. Let's have a look at two more. In Genesis chapter 11, after the Tower of Babel incident, and you remember they're building this tower to reach onto heaven... And here's a lovely verse that I've covered in the prophecy series, I think. They're trying desperately to reach God. And in verse 7, cheekily, God says, Go to, let us go down. And there, confound their language. Desperately reaching to God, and God has to travel down to see what they're doing. Let us go down, he says. Plural pronouns. And there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord, singular, scattered them. Us, but one Lord. And another very famous passage, we'll make this the last in this category, is in Isaiah chapter 6. These are all very famous passages. Isaiah chapter 6, and verse 8. And the reason I go to this one is because we can identify which member of the Godhead is actually speaking here. It's one of the few where we are actually certain which member of the Godhead is speaking. In verse 8 of Isaiah 6, you remember Isaiah has realized he's had a vision of God. He falls down says, Woe is me! He knows his uncleanness. God then comes and purifies him, and then comes the calling of God. Verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord singular saying whom shall I send I send singular and who will go for us and so one member of the Godhead is about to send someone out but he's speaking on behalf of the other members of the Godhead we've got a plural God a triune God then said I here am I send me now which member of the Godhead is speaking here well if you read on to verse 9 and verse 10 you have the message that is given. And the Holy Spirit here warns Isaiah. He says, the ministry that you've got is a very bad one. These people are out of fellowship. They're rebelling against me, and what I want you to do is to go and preach to them, even though they won't listen to you. And by preaching to them, I can speed up my judgment against them. Then I'll bring forward the day when they can return eventually to me. So it's an unenviable task that he's got. Look what it says, verse 9. He said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. And what it's saying is this, if there is a nation which is evil and against God, but not yet evil enough for God to judge it, Sometimes God raises up preachers in the midst to preach the word to cause the people to reject even more Then his judgment can come and the quicker his judgment comes the quicker they'll eventually turn back to him And that's what Isaiah's got to do knowing they won't listen to what he's saying Now it's interesting because verse 9 and verse 10 are quoted in the New Testament And in the New Testament it tells us who was talking at this particular time So let's just go to Acts chapter 28 where Paul finally says, very well, he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. You Jews aren't listening, so very well, you've heard your chance, now it's the chance of the Gentiles. And to get it over to them, he quotes those very verses from the book of Isaiah. And in verse 25, this is what it says. Acts 28, verse 25, And when they agreed not among themselves they departed after that Paul had spoken one word well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers saying go unto this people and say hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and not perceive for the heart of this people is waxed gross their ears are dull of hearing their eyes have closed and so it goes on and that's an exact quotation from the book of Isaiah but do you see who said it it was the Holy Spirit who said it. So the Lord there is the Holy Spirit speaking to Isaiah at that particular time. Okay, so do you see, the first thing we have to note is that in many passages of scripture, you have plural pronouns and plural nouns used of our one God. Now that's very strange. In fact, if we didn't have a trinity, these would cause us a lot of trouble. I mean, who was God talking to? for example, when he decided to create man. Was he talking to the animals or to the plants? What, what would it be? No, it's a discussion among the three members of the Trinity. So that's the first category of things that I want to look at. But the second category is found, first of all, in the New Testament. The second category I want to look at is this, the appearances of God in the Old Testament. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 is quite clear. Now, unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, it says. And it states the fact that our God is invisible. And a person who is invisible, of course, cannot be seen by anyone. And it's with that in mind that Jesus speaks about the Father. And in John chapter 1 verse 18, if we could go there, John chapter 1 verse 18, he makes a remarkable statement. John 1, verse 18. And remember, please, when Jesus says this, he knows the whole of the Old Testament Scriptures. It's all been written. It's all past history now. And he makes this statement. If you don't know any other verse, you've got to know this one because this will be the key to set everything else off when you're speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses and others. Verse 18. Look what it says. No man hath seen God at any time. Remarkable statement. No man has seen God at any time at all. That's what he says. Now the question for us who believe in the Trinity is, which member of the Trinity is he talking about? Which member has never been seen by anyone? Well, he goes on to tell you. For it says, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Who's him? Father. It is the only begotten Son who declares the Father. As Jesus said later on, he that's seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is there to declare the Father. It is the Father that no man has ever seen. Now that is a statement of Scripture. Can you see now that if we go to the Old Testament, if we can show passages where God was seen by men, the people who are not Trinitarians have a great problem because apparently God appeared to them, but it couldn't be God because no man's seen God at any time. Well, then you're left with a big problem. But if, in fact, we can show in the Old Testament that people did see God, then we have a major proof of the fact of the Trinity. And, of course, I don't have to tell you That the problem with tonight isn't the few scriptures that I've got. The problem is there are so many scriptures that I've got. Do you know God was appearing all over the place in the Old Testament? For example, who was the chap that talked to Adam in the garden? Who was the chap who walked in the garden of Eden in the cool of the day? Right? Who was the person that Adam had communion with every day? Well, it was God. Yes, but no man seen God. So how could Adam have done that? We have a problem. Let's have a look at a few of these scriptures, and let's go through, and they're most remarkable. I think as I go through these, many of you will say, do you know, I didn't realize before just how apparent God was in the Old Testament. Many people had the wrong idea of the Old Testament, because they've never looked for God appearing in the Old Testament. Let's go to one immediately, which is found in the book of Exodus. Let's go to Exodus, chapter 24. Exodus... Twenty-four, verse 9. Now, this is as clear a statement as you can possibly get. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. I saw him. Now, no man's seen the Father at any time, but they saw God. Definitely, it says it in every translation. It says it, even in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, as far as I know, it says it. Odd, isn't it? So here, you've got it. Remember it, please. 1 John 1:18. 1, then turn straight away to Exodus chapter 24, and you will see one very puzzled Jehovah's Witness on your doorstep. And look what it says, And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. I like the way it just throws that in. Oh, they saw God and did eat and drink. Isn't that lovely? You see, they were perfectly at home with seeing God. They were communing with him. Isn't that wonderful? This is close communion. They saw him. Who was it? It can't be the father. No, it has to be the one who revealed God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus coming, and he starts communing with them. Moses was the man, after all, that God said he spoke face to face with. Moses was the person, and God actually discussed things with Moses. Right? He actually uh, discussed his law. He explained the law to Moses. Much of what's written in the first five books of the Bible has come directly from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, for example, were dictated straight from the mouth of Jesus to it. And that's why I can believe it absolutely. You see, this is a sermon Jesus preached in the very beginning of the Bible. Moses spoke face to face. I imagine that he actually said, but what about the dinosaurs? Right? (laughs) Except uh, they were still roaming the earth. That's one of the questions I would have asked if I'd met Jesus Christ at that point. Moses was used to seeing God. He'd seen him many times. Let's have a look at the first time Moses ever saw God. In Exodus chapter 3, he meets his Saviour. Do you remember this comes at the end of 40 years, and he's been looking after sheep in Midian. And he tried in his own strength to set the Israelites free in the land of Egypt, and God has to teach him a lesson. And to do it, he goes and cools his heels in Midian. Many of us are just the same, by the way. We get wonderfully saved and we're really going to do the work of God. You know, wow, everything's going to go. Now Now I'm a Christian, God, I'm the chap you've been waiting for. And God says, yes, I can see the type of fellow you are. I've got just the place for you to keep sheep for 40 years. And then you go away until you've learned that it's not by your might and it's not by your power, but it's by his spirit that he'll do the work. And it's jolly tough, isn't it, while we're cooling our heels, learning that. And here right at the end of the sojourn God has to show Moses what the lesson is that he's been teaching him and in verse 1 Moses sees something now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And you see the message that's coming. You've got to burn, but not with your own energy. You've got to burn with my energy. That's the message of the burning bush. And you see here, it says, the angel of the Lord appeared. Can I just tell you now that when you read the phrase, the angel of the Lord, in the majority of cases, that is one of the titles of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. That is God himself, as we'll see in a moment. The angel of the Lord appears in the bush, and if we read on, verse 3, Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. The angel of the Lord is in the midst of the bush, and here the angel of the Lord is said to be divine. There we are. It's God himself. And said Moses, Moses, he said, Here am I. He said, Draw not nigh thither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He met God face to face. And then the conversation goes on, and finally... Moses just says, this, but they're not going to believe me. If I go and say you've said all this to me, they are, who shall I say has sent me? And down in, in um, verse 14, we have one of the names of God. And God, this is the God in the middle of the burning bush, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And do you remember, well, we'll see it next time anyway, Jesus himself claims to be I Am. That's one of the titles. Well, who then did Moses see in the burning bush? God the Father? No. No man's ever seen him. No, but it was God, all right. It was Jesus Christ, the divine person, right? The second person of the Trinity. Now, there it is. I think it's worth our while just having a look at the phrase the angel of the Lord and seeing that that is a title for the Lord. Let's have a look at another passage in Exodus. Go to Exodus 14. Exodus 14. And verse 19. And here the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. And Pharaoh and his armies are chasing up behind them. And you remember that God led them out as a pillar of cloud during the day, as a pillar of fire during the night. And in verse 19 we see that that pillar was an angel of God. This is Exodus 14, verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. Isn't that nice? Pharaoh's chasing up, they need a bit of a rest, so God moves from in front, the angel of the Lord moves from in front and comes behind them, right? And to the Egyptians, it was a a darkness. They couldn't see where they were going. To the Israelites, it was light, all in the one self-same cloud there. But do you see, at the beginning of verse 19, it's definitely called the angel of God. But over in Exodus 13, verse 21, definitely it says it's God himself. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. And so do you see the angel of the Lord and God are one and the same person. And when you read it, check up in the context exactly who it's talking about. Is it an ordinary angel or is it God himself? Right, let's have a look at a few more appearances, shall we, of God in the Old Testament. Let's go to Genesis again. and Genesis 18, I really had to pick and choose. You could go on and on and on listing these. So even if you haven't got a very good memory, you should be able to remember some of these, I think, when the old JWs come knocking. Get straight to the point. Say, you don't believe Jesus is God, do you? And they'll say, well, we believe he's the son of God. Yes, but you don't believe he's God, do you? Well, we believe he's a God. No, but you don't believe he's God, do you? No, they'll say, right. Then you say, now, how do you explain these? And off you go. Now, verse 1, Remembering again, no man has at any time seen the Father. And the Lord, that's the word Jehovah. They're Jehovah's witnesses, apparently. And Jehovah appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Jehovah appears suddenly. Who's this? Can't be the Father. Who is it? It's the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. He doesn't come alone, he comes with others. Verse 2, and he lift up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. Two of them were angels, one was the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know two of them were angels? Well, as you read on in this chapter, you'll find that two of them leave to go to Sodom. And in Genesis chapter 19, it begins by saying, And there came two angels to Sodom at Eden. And they're the two angels who left the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. So two angels plus Jesus appear in front of him. And I love it because in verse 3, he's only got eyes for one. The have the two angels, he doesn't notice. He said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, singular, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. And there's the appearance of God to Abraham. As we go on in the chapter, you see it time and time again. Verse 9. They said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? He said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord... Do you see? It's Jehovah who's appeared. The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child, uh, which am too old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. But he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? It's the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, right the way through. Jehovah, 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 talking, listening to what he has to say. Verse 20, the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now. And then verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence, and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Then there's this discussion that goes on, and in verse 33, and the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Can you see these scriptures put by the side of John 1 verse 18 show quite clearly that we have to have another personality at least in our, our Godhead, and this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, Genesis 32. Have you wondered about this incident? In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with a man. Who is it that he's wrestling with? At the end of Genesis, he called him an angel. In Hosea chapter 12, it definitely declares that this is God that he wrestled with. In verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't know he was a wrestler, did you? But he is. And verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He said, let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. It's a funny thing to say. He knew who he was fighting with. And he said unto him, What is thy name? He said, Jacob. He said, Thy name shouldn't be called no more Jacob, but Israel, that's a prince of God. For as a prince thou hast power with God and men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. He said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And there he blessed him. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I've seen God face to face. He knew who he was fighting with. It's God that's appearing. I think uh, one more there are plenty. He, you know he appeared to Gideon. Let's go to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 13 and see him appear to Manoah. Judges 13 Manoah of course, the father of Samson. If you think you have a troublesome son, Just praise the Lord you didn't give uh, birth to uh, Samson. Boy, what a fellow. Now then. And let's have a look at verse 15. And here we've got the title, Angel of the Lord, used again. Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we have made ready a kid for thee. Interesting, isn't it? The angel of the Lord had come to say, you're going to have a kid. Now they want to give him a kid, but a different sort. Verse 16, and the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? that when thou, thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honour. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. And it came to pass, when the flame went up towards heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, Remember, Manoah thinks he's speaking to an ordinary man here. Suddenly he sees him rise up in the flame of the fire. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Now there it is, the angel of the Lord, they've seen God. Who was it that they'd seen? It was the Lord Jesus himself. But his wife said unto him, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. Do you see, many, many, many people saw God. What about Isaiah? Isaiah said, in the, it, it actually says in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There it is. He was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. What did he see? He saw the Lord. Who's that God? God the Father? No, it's God the Son. That's who he saw, you see. Lots of people saw him. David saw him. Do you know that? Well, I said this was the last scripture. Let me just show you one other. In uh, 2 Chronicles and chapter 3. You see, I'm making up for lost time last week. In 2 Chronicles and chapter 3. A clear statement that David saw God. And if you read Hebrews 11 now, knowing that these people had seen God in the form of Jesus Christ, suddenly Hebrews 11 takes on a new wonder as you read it. These people were not ignorant as we think they were. We have this idea that they didn't know anything about Jesus or anything about God. The Trinity is a complete mystery to them. It's not true. They understood it absolutely. Then it goes, verse 1 of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 3. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father. Quite clear, the Lord had appeared unto David. And so we have these Old Testament appearances of God, which actually show there has to be a Trinity. The next category I want to deal with, the third category, are direct references to Jesus in the Old Testament. And because I've dealt with these in, for example, the four tapes where I deal with the Messiah, I'm not going to take too many of these. But the obvious ones, again, are found in the book of Isaiah. So let's go to the book of Isaiah again. And after we've seen these, I'll show you how I think that some people in the Old Testament actually could guess what the name of the second person of the Trinity really was. But I'll show you that in just a moment. In Isaiah chapter 7... And verse 14, we have this very famous prophecy about a virgin conceiving. And in prophetic form, God tells us one of the titles that this young babe is going to have. And the title is very revealing. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means nothing less than God with us. Who is Jesus? Why? He's the God-man. God with us. The God manifest in the flesh, as we saw last time. Now there's a statement of the divinity of Christ. A better one, I think, is in Isaiah 9, the six. I can't remember if I've dealt with this yet in this series, but it's a good time to bring it in anyway. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, Christ's humanity, that is, a child being born. For unto us a son is given, that's his divinity, we were given the Son of God and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, now look at this, Wonderful Counselor, which we know him to be, the Mighty God. You couldn't have a more direct statement of his divinity than that. Who is Jesus? Why, he's the Mighty God. Then it says the Everlasting Father, or as you know, the Author of Everlasting Life, literally, and the Prince of Peace. Now, if you turn to this scripture, and the Jehovah's Witnesses on the doorstep, he's got a problem. And, and the way he translates it is this Oh, well, it doesn't really say the mighty God. It says a mighty one who is Godlike. It's convenient, isn't it? Not really God, just a bit like God. That's all. A mighty one who is Godlike. And of course, you must go straight over to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, where we have Jehovah given exactly the same title. And the poor Jehovah's Witness will sink slowly in the west. (laughs) Right? Verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon that Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel in truth, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God... And if they're right, in Isaiah chapter 9, what they're saying is that Jehovah is a mighty one who's godlike Not really God, just a little like God. Now that's not much of a Jehovah's Witness. All right? But there you've got the statement. Well, these are direct references to the Lord himself. There are plenty of others. Do you know that you can go through all of the scriptures that relate to Jesus being the Messiah, and many of them say that the Messiah will be God himself? I think we'll have a look at one of them, Right, you can look up the others for yourself. In Jeremiah 23, you've got a beautiful statement of it. Jeremiah chapter 23. And in verse 5, it's definitely talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see that it's as clear as a bell. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. Now, who's this? It's Jesus Christ, who was going to sit on the throne of David forever and forever. A righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Who's that? King Jesus. That's who it is. Verse 6. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. These days are yet future. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, that's Jehovah, our righteousness. Jesus is Jehovah. It's a statement of fact right there. All right, so do you see there's a whole category of scriptures that deal with the Messiah that also show that the Messiah, who is Jesus, is definitely divine. Do you know you can actually see what his name was going to be in the Old Testament? In the New Testament, we read that his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the great Greek word for saviour. Now, there is a word very like Jesus in Hebrew. Right? Joshua is related to it. It's the word jeshua. Right? Y-E-S-H-U-A. Jeshua. And jeshua is the Hebrew word for salvation. The trouble is, in the King James Version of the Bible, and in most of yours, wherever you get Yeshua mentioned, it's always translated as salvation. Here it is, Yeshua. Yeshua. You can see how Joshua is related to it. And that means salvation. But if you, in fact, take away the word salvation and put the word Jeshua back in, it's rather interesting how it seems to relate to several New Testament passages about Jesus. I'll give you one of these again, and you can use your young's analytical concordance to see the others. Go to Isaiah chapter 12, and this is beautiful. Isaiah chapter 12, and we sing this, Behold, God is my salvation, except salvation is Yeshua. Now, Isaiah 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my Yeshua, reference to Jesus i will trust and not be afraid for the lord jehovah is my strength and my song he has also become my yeshua this is the word made flesh right there he is my yeshua and this verse 3 therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of yeshua lovely isn't it and doesn't that remind you of the words of jesus in john chapter 7 Verse 36, and that, that type of area in John 7, where he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And the promise is that he that drinks of me will never thirst again. Out of his belly, out of his inmost being, will flow rivers of living water. Oh yes, therefore with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of Jeshua. That's our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now that's what that's a reference to. Do You see, all of these are indications of what his name is. Uh, might be in the Old Testament. So there you've got the third category then of things I want to cover and that is direct references to the Lord himself. The fourth category is really a miscellaneous category. It's other scriptures that show definitely that there is a trinity and one of the most convincing is found again in the book of Isaiah. So let's go now to Isaiah and chapter 48 And this is one passage in the Old Testament where all three members of the Godhead are mentioned together. And the reason people don't realize that this is a Trinitarian passage is because they never locate who is speaking. You have someone called I or me. Now who's I or me in the passage? And that's why we are going to begin in Isaiah 48 and verse 12. For we locate here that it is a member of the Godhead who is speaking. It is God himself talking here. And in verse 12 of Isaiah 48, he says this. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. That's God talking. You are my chosen ones. You are my called ones. I am he. I am the first I am also the last. Now, where do we see that? In the New Testament, that's one of the titles of the Lord Jesus. I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. There's Jesus. Then it goes on, verse 13: Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. That's God talking, it's not Isaiah. Don't see Isaiah saying that, I've spanned out the heavens. You know, when I call to them, they stand up all together. can't be Isaiah. It's definitely God talking here. All ye, assemble yourselves and hear. Which among them hath declared these things? The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken, says God. Yea, I have called him. I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. Then verse 16. Come ye near unto me, hear ye this, he says to the Jews. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. Beautiful, isn't it? Now, can you see the reference? You've got three people mentioned at the very end of verse 16. You've got the Lord God mentioned, you've got his Spirit mentioned, and you've got me mentioned. And we've already located that me is actually uh, God himself. So we've got three people. You've got God, you've got God, and you've got his Spirit. Who is it? The person speaking is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord God here is the Father, and his Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Now, that is one of the plainest statements of the Trinity found anywhere in the Bible. Now, of course, we, being truly born-again Christians, absolutely believe in the Trinity. Do you remember how I said last time, if you don't believe in the Trinity, I don't even know how you can ever think you're saved by not believing in the... If Jesus is not God, then you are not saved. Now if there is no Trinity, do you see you have an awful lot of scriptures here that you have to explain away in a certain manner. And I would think that it's easier for me to give a talk on the Trinity, which is self-evident when you see these scriptures, than for a Jehovah's Witness person to go through and try and explain all of these away. If he manages to do all of these, I've got an equal number, right, that we can also turn to. It goes on and on and on. Does the Old Testament tr- te- uh, teach the Trinity? Yes, it does, and very firmly so indeed. Very firmly indeed. God appears constantly right here. By the way, who was the man who appeared to Joshua outside the gates of Jericho? Do you remember? Joshua thinks he's a leader of the army of God. And he meets a man, he says this, Who's, Are you friend or are you foe? Right? He says, I'm the commander around here. Can't see that. And this, suddenly Joshua, who thought he was the commander, suddenly meets the one who is really the commander. And then the man who is really the commander says, and by the way, you better take your shoes off. Right? The ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Who was it that he met outside the gates of Jericho? I'll tell you who it was. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus appeared to him and Jesus told him what they were going to do. You see, Joshua was busy working out a battle campaign. Oh, well, we're going to build some battering rams, and we're coming to come running in, you know, and we're going to smash these walls down. And the Lord Jesus Christ just says, excuse me, we've already got the battle tactic. Thanks ever so much. Actually, what they did is like a neutron bomb in reverse. You know, a neutron bomb kills all the people, but the buildings are still standing. Well, what God did inventing there was a neutron bomb in reverse. All the buildings fell to the ground, but the people were left, which is nice, isn't it? And what was the plan? Just march around in silence several times. And then all of a sudden, when I give you the command, shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. That's good. Who invented it? It was none other person than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you see, therefore, when Jesus speaks in the Gospels and talks about Abraham and talks about Moses, he knew these people intimately. He'd met them. He'd talked with them. Of course he, he was the one. Do you remember when the woman is brought to Jesus who had been found committing adultery? And do you remember they all want to stone her? And do you remember Jesus goes down and he starts writing in the sand? We don't know what he wrote, but i tell you what I think it is. I think it's a reminder to the people around that he was the one who wrote the law in the first place. That's what it's saying. Whose finger was it that carved out the law of God on that rock face? It was Jesus Christ himself. And here are these Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other people coming to tell him what the law says and how the law should be applied. And Jesus just fingers the sand to remind us all he was the one that wrote the law in the first place. Jesus is in the Old Testament. And very clearly and every time he appears he's divine the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament and every time he appears He is divine. There are three people who are divine God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit, but they're not three gods They're one God Next time I'm going to counter that incredible charge that Je- the Jehovah's Witnesses make have you heard them say this? There is no reference at all in the New Testament to the Trinity they are so wrong that it might take me an hour and a half next time to actually deal with some of the scriptures. For tonight, let's just end in Numbers chapter 6 and we'll take this as a blessing. Here is one of those passages where we have three mentions of God. Again, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6 with the angels around the Lord who is exalted with his train filling the temple and the angels say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with his glory. God the Father's holy. God the Son's holy. God the Holy Spirit is holy. And here's the blessing of God to be given upon the people of Israel. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, and take it for yourself even tonight. Look what it says. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Isn't that lovely? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are all going to bless you. So receive a treble blessing in the name of Jesus for tonight. And next time, we'll be looking at the New Testament Scriptures. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you open up the Old Testament to us. That this book is not closed, but according to Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, these are the things that belong unto us and to our children forever. These things are not secret. The secret things belong unto you, but these are for us and for our edification. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that we should receive such a revelation of the Trinity through these things, that, Father, we should never doubt again, but know of a certainty that, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, are our God. Our God is one, one in essence, three in personality. Oh Father, in Jesus' name, just bless us all as we leave this place. Amen.